Hi everyone, the views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in the following podcast belong solely to the host and its contributors. They are not necessarily the views of our employers, organizations, committees, or other group or individual. I'm David Campbell. And I'm Joseph Whitney. This is Brewing with BIM. Where we talk about construction processes, technology, BIM, and beer. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Bring with BIM. As always, I'm Joe Whitney. With me is Dave Campbell. Uh, and today we have an amazing guest. We've got Josh Bone. Say hello, everybody. Well, hey, hello. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Josh, I cut no, you off there. <laughs> no, no worries. You never know who's going to go first in these podcasts. You know, it's uh, it's always uh, good. Uh, it, it's, it never hurts to talk over each other. It just tells you we're, we're, we're live and on the fly. There you go. There you go. I like it. I like it. Um, Josh, thank you so much for joining us, man. I, I, I kind of, I don't know, We were ta- I was talking to Joey, and, you know, we're, we're getting these ideas together of who do we want to have, who do we feel is going to be beneficial on, on future podcasts, you know, what, what direction do we want to take this, and Joey and I have always been kind of skirting that line between construction, you know, BIM, and, and seeing what's overall kind of better for construction, and how technology is implemented, and, and, and how it's helped you know, that, that sector. And, you know, Joey and I originally, it's funny, but we kind of got into this podcast because of, you know, your podcast, right? I mean, the content crew is huge. That's, it was an awesome podcast that we used to listen to. We'd meet up at the water cooler and dude, did you listen to this podcast? Yeah. They're talking about this. They're talking about that. Like, oh yeah. And we started just having these awesome conversations. And, um, I just, I feel like, you know, when we were talking about having people on, when I reached out and you said, yes, I'd love to come on, dude. I was so excited. Like it's, it's an awesome, awesome opportunity to have you here. Thank you again for coming on with us. Um, for those of you who kind of that don't know Josh, or for those of, of you listening that, uh, you know, uh, are somewhat familiar, Josh, could you give us a little background on yourself? Yeah. So, uh, I've been around the industry for 22 years and I started 3d modeling at that time. So 22 years ago, as I was going to school for industrial engineering, grew up around a construction family and uh, realized I'm not an engineer. I can't in my office every day. I got to do something different. You know, I was always a get wood growing up and then uh, did everything from installing antennas and gutters and all these things. I grew up around a family with a bunch of millwrights on my dad's side and uh, went out and Angie Izzy, had started this business and she was representing a number of products. One of the solutions at the time was Archicad and I just fell in love with it. Was doing some 2D CAD through high school and in college and did a little bit of 3D modeling and microstation and found this world of 3D modeling long before it was ever called BIM. In 1998, I was 3D modeling and we started getting contracts with helping architects and engineers got into some contracts with the University of South Carolina. We would go in and actually take their, they would put out a set to bid and they would send them to us and I would model everything. I would model sprinkler systems. I would model the curtain wall systems. I would sit down. We'd maybe go out, have conversations, sit in a job trailer, talk to the sheet metal team, have conversations around coordination back in the early 2000s. And then the term BIM came into place and just, 
right place, right time. Everyone wanted to start moving away from 2D CAD to, to BIM. I did training, got to travel the country. And uh, then, you know, a, as I moved into that, I started seeing all of this world bloom up around mobile apps. And I went to work for this company called Smart Use. And uh, it was a competitor to, to Playing Grid, and it was a competitor to Bluebeam at the time. We were the really do Plan Compare, and man, that was that was a while ago now. So we were doing Plan Compare, overlaying sheets back in, gosh, what six, seven, maybe eight years ago. We were acquired within 11 months by New Forma, and uh, then went to JB Knowledge, and we talked about starting a podcast right at man now it's been five years ago we thought if we can get 500 people to listen to us next year it will be so amazing and we actually you know exceeded that number in our very first episode and uh it, it was it was crazy it was it was something that the industry was just you know we've got all these great podcasts that are out there now and and it's good to see how this is creating an evolution around the industry. So I've worked with architects. I've worked with engineers. I've worked with owners. I've worked with GCCMs. In the last five years, I've really been focused five and a half, six years on the trades because I think we, you know, we're, we're the at the face of work. We've we've neglected that. And I've had a lot of conversations with architects and engineers and GC saying, hey, we got to get the important people to the table and um, who's the important people? Well, you know, the architects, the engineers, the owners, and the GCs. What about the trades? Oh, they, they don't matter. You do realize that's where work, your designs actually come together. And that's where you hit your that, – that's where it all comes together. So that's how, uh, that's how you make it work. So I saw an opportunity and have been head down focused on the trades and with NECA now for a year. The National Electrical Contractors Association most recently moved into the role – of running our research foundation as the executive director of Electri International. And the beautiful thing about Electri, everything is free from Electri.org. So you want to download a report, anybody, not just NECA members, anybody can download anything for free. There's 31 years of, of content and research and always uh, looking for new researchers and pushing the industry forward. Yeah, you know, there's been a big push lately to open source data, and I, I'm fully behind that. I think the more that we can open these borders, Joey and I frequently have this conversation, you know, the not, not just communication of people, but communication of workflows, communication of technology. You know, we, we really need to, again, I use this term a lot, but bridge that gap to really move our industry forward or keep it moving forward. And, you know, dude, you're right on there, too, I think, um, with talking about trades. Joey and I are very passionate about this as well as trying to get more of this technology into the trades and and, and training, um, I guess, younger, right? And, and, and really, at the same time, um, taking the older knowledge. I actually grew up in, in the carpenters union, right? And my, my stepdad was a heavy equipment operator. That's what I did during my first deployment and then switched into, you know, vertical construction, got into the uh, carpenters union right after my deployment. And um, I was able to kind of go through the whole the apprenticeship program. Right. And I'm seeing how really it, it's the transition of knowledge. 
And that's that's a huge thing with those apprenticeship schools and, and the unions in general is they have this nice rotation and, and they build up these these journeymen with this, these 20, 30, 40 years of experience, you know, doing what they do. And you have either specialized personnel who are doing all drywall, painting, electrical, or you have guys that do a little bit of everything here and there. Right. But when you have I feel like when you have that knowledge that the trades have, I mean, I feel like that is so valuable for all of our industry, right? Especially those older guys. I mean, I never, I don't want to lose that experience. I feel like that recycling has to take place that we have to, you know, especially now that we're adopting this technology so quick, we don't want to lose those roots of, no, this is really how it's supposed to be built, or this is how it can be done. You know, we can do it like this, this, and this, and we need to transition that into the younger generations that are adopting and pushing this technology, right? That current, that constant kind of, I want to say that circle of knowledge. Absolutely. I think that's, well, and just to say, you there as the uh, carpenter side of this, my dad, the millwrights were under the is they're under the UBC, so the training facility <laughs> in Vegas, it's it's shared by the carpenters and millwrights. So my yep. dad, my grandfather, my great grandfather, all my uncles and cousins have been part of the millwrights at some point in time. My dad retired from it, my grandfather, and I remember them getting together and talking and sharing these trade secrets when we got together on Sundays at lunch, and and just the amount of time they spent together talking about work and all the experience. One of the things I think we have to address, and we get beat up in the industry, this has been my soapbox lately, is the industry has been flat on productivity for all these years. And you hear people come to us and talk to us from outside the industry and all this venture capital. Construction productivity has been flat for the last 30 years. Look at manufacturing. Look at all these other industries and where they've grown. I would say, listen, We are a mobile first industry. Everything we do is a one off. I don't care if you build Wendy's, you can build a Wendy's right across the street from the other one. And it's a different challenge with a civil. It's a different challenge with a code could be different. Everything is always different about construction. And it's not been until we've had these smartphones and tablets with our ability to collect this data on the fly and out in the real world. And what's happened is look at our systems of the building. Look at an electrical contractor. The world's changed on electrical contractors so much, they just ran power back in the day. That that was 10 years ago. Now they're getting into low-voltage systems. Now they're getting into digital power distribution. Now they're getting into all of this really complex systems, switchgear and motors and mechanical, and all these systems have changed so much. And we're sitting there thinking, we've moved this needle and the gap between a permit set of documents that's communicating design intent to what's actually going to be built in the field, that gap grows every year and nobody's addressing it. Nobody's having the conversation. No engineer can be a specialist in all of these systems because the technology is changing so fast. How are you going to know? I mean, how many people out there really are dialed into all these different systems that are, that are working. It's impossible to be the master arch, the master builder today. And that there's no one that can have all this knowledge. So you see all these specialties that there's that many more specialist suppliers and vendors on the job site because they carry these special products. We've just made every, everything's gotten more complicated and we're still trying to operate in the same way. And unfortunately, BIM is still the, the the redheaded stepchild that's just drug along on so many of these projects. And it's like, hey, you know, you're a you're 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 a pain right now. Get out of our way, BIM. Oh, we need you back. We no one ever knows how to really 
take and, and be that, we call it a virtual foreman, to really be behind that, get out from behind that computer, have the knowledge of the field, have the knowledge that you can communicate with the back office, the ability to communicate with the shop, talk about coordination, constructability. You know, it's uh, BIM has, has been beaten up in this process. While, you know, we can provide a lot of value in a short period of time, it's just no, everybody doesn't really know how to use us BIMers in the world. And uh, I think there's a lot of value we can bring. Yeah. So, you know, 20 years later, BIM is still a four letter word. It seems like it, it, it yeah, it, if it helps you win a project, it's great. But then when it's required on a project um, or, you know, you're, you're fighting something, oh, BIM, you know, uh, why are we even doing it this way? This doesn't make sense. Or, you know, nobody's using the data downstream because it's a wrong version. And there's a lot of misnomers with practices. It's it's interesting. You meant, and, uh, mentioned Angie Izzy now that she's you know, she's at Autodesk. Right. Um, we were just chat. I was just chatting with her about a colleague today. Um, she she was hosting some stuff like so pushing forward all the whole Autodesk BIM, all that sort of stuff, leading the construction teams. Um, but, you know, starting with ArchCAD back in the day. And I don't know, man, it just shows how many big players there are that have just been around forever because ArchiCAD's still there. Uh, Autodesk obviously ain't going anywhere, knock on wood. Uh, uh, and then you mentioned New Forma, uh, Bluebeam, who's now bought by Nemechek, which owns, they own ArchiCAD, right? I think so. They do, they do. Yeah, yeah. So there's all these different players and it seems like, you know, you're talking about venture capitalists and everything. It just seems like in that whole space, that whole uh, uh, mergers and acquisitions and, and uh, new tech, everybody's just sucking up everybody. Uh, and it's just a race to uh, who's got this this platform at the end to run all the metrics and analytics, the stuff that you want to see to see, all right, who's using what, uh, what is this doing? Is this reducing rework? Is this, you know, is this uh, uh, saving us money? But the bottom line, uh, just to touch back to something you were saying a second ago about um, the, um, the, you know, what BIM is doing for us now, um, the number one thing about, you know, you throw productivity aside, you throw, you, you uh, mentioned about the specializations, but the thing that we have to focus on is job sites are now safer. We're not losing people on every job. You know, there's there's not mass casualties. We're building buildings and people are safe. Like that's the number one thing. So tracking the safety, making sure people go home. That's the that metric we should be looking at in these systems above and above, uh, you know, everything else. Um, so it's just, I don't know, man. We talk about BIM as this uh, make more productivity, make things more efficient, effective. No, safety, man. I think for me, that's that's kind of the, the I got that has to come home. Well, I mean, if you're doing rough in and you're drilling into a deck over your head and you're on scissor lifts or heaven forbid ladders all day and you're out there, just the fatigue that can sit in to to that type of task. You know, let, let's talk about a real world scenario for what happens to us. So I'm a consultant. They hire me to go come in and set points so I can create these points in my model and send them out to a robotic total station and they can lay these points out in the field. It is so much deja vu on every job that I've ever done. It's like they hand it to me on Monday. They should have handed it to me a few days ahead of time. It's always last minute as when you're doing BIM. So here you go. You're giving this on Monday, but we need to be on deck today. Well, I just got it, and now I need to be on deck. And you're saying, give me two days. i got to create these points. But when I get out there, when they lay out, they put out the, the robotic total station, 
on Wednesday. It's going to be done in a day. But you get beat up Monday, Tuesday. I could be laying this out with a tape and string and we'd already be there. I just hold on, hold on. I'm, I'm working. I'm getting this done. Things are happening behind the scenes. And then, of course, they go out there. They lay it all out in a day. And the group that would have started out there pulling string and tape would have had a ton of errors would have had a ton of omissions. They may not have had all their penetrations in their deck, all their sleeves. They would have missed some things because they're doing it the old manual way. And they would have still been working Thursday and Friday, which that more time that you're on the job site, that's unsafe. And then how many times, and and you go through that, you're like, remember that, remember that on the next job. And you're sitting there, next job comes around. I could be laying this out right now. I've done it this way for (laughs) Do you not remember the last time we had this conversation? You sold me on the, this job that we could do layout this way and do all these amazing things. And now you're beating me up over it, but you're always selling me on the next job. And you think about what we can do with BIM. And, and listen, coordination is an amazing advantage of BIM and, and getting the teams together to communicate. But if you can go lay out your deck and work below your feet and not work overhead, not get the silica exposure, not be on ladders, not be doing all those things and and lifting more and doing the, that. And with, But where I love BIM and, and where we see the incentive is in driving prefab. That, that's that's a big thing for us in the, in the trade side of the world. And th- there's so much that goes back to what I was saying, that they can't see I'm working on the computer, that I'm actually getting things done, and it's going to save us time when we get out in the field. You know, it's that out of sight, out of mind, that the the lack of trust in the industry, guys, the lack of trust in the industry. If we just had a little more trust and understand that if we did BIM right and you looked at it as virtual construction and planning and we were thinking about constructability and we were letting the engineers really focus on design intent, maybe we were sharing models because this this whole process today of trying to communicate design intent and handing off something that has no constructability thought that went into it that really very little knowledge it's broken it's broken we we've got to we we've got to start trusting each other and and share and make BIM a real part of the project that it's the virtual construction and planning stages of prefab. And you've got amazing tools like Manufacton and Stratus and M suite and all these amazing tools, but we're still hitting our head against the walls because no, not as enough people know about what we do behind the scenes. Dude, I completely agree, man. I, I, there's, there's so many things to talk about there. I mean, I, I think that, um, of course, with prefabrication, being able to control the conditions that you're, you know, putting these parts together. Obviously, you have to have accuracy, precision, you know, your layout of points that that's really going to help also with maybe utilizing something like Fabrication Academy, P-Families, you know, just the, when you can get those fabrication families down to a precise kind of measurements when they're actually going to cut them, you know, whether it's um, – ducting or it's piping whatever it is pvc they can go ahead and cut those and again the conditions in like a manufacturing environment at that point can be safer than being out on a job site right so that that in itself right there i mean not only that but being able to have all of those parts arrive already done like i've seen people they they've put together entire mechanical rooms i mean just pump systems and everything complex systems put together and it works to a T. They've already tested it in the manufacturing facility and they bring it out to the job site and it's a simple plug and play. It's install, 
right? And you know it's going to work. Most of the time when you get out there, you're, you're getting pumps and stuff and you're letting it sit on a pallet and we're going to go ahead and start putting all this stuff together so we can hook it up and then we have to test it and make sure it works. And if it doesn't work, oh crap, well, we got to unhook everything that we got to send it out and get another pump. And hey, you know what? Maybe they sent you the different pump or they sent you one with a different outlet size or anything. That screws your whole day up. Like it's, it's huge. It, and there's so many like, I, I want to feel like just little chances for error. There's more chances for error, the less that we want to utilize this technology that we have. It's, it's insane. Yeah. And, and I can tell you when it comes to prefab, we were talking about this in the pre-show, how we were saying that, you know, we're used to workarounds. We have, we have been beta testers forever. That's just what we're accustomed to. Not everyone in this world is in our world. It's definitely not accustomed to this. So it's something that, that we've built. We've, we've built a, a high threshold of tolerance to test out new tools and do these workarounds. I'll tell you what, the field has very little tolerance for mistakes. <laughs> and you deliver yeah. one piece of prefab out there that doesn't work out of a hundred and they're gonna be like, "What's going on? This prefab stuff is 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 junk. I gotta, I've had to redo all this." And it's, you know, it's it, listen. If this stuff is 80% right, the amount of time that uh, that it puts out of the field, putting these workers into safer conditions, there's no way of fighting it. Off-site construction, prefab, kitting, volumetric, modular, whatever it is, you know, if it's an entire electrical room, if it's an entire, if it's a a, a skid. With everything that's put together, it, having all your tools, having all your materials working at a height that that's that that's suitable for people, that you can put your foot pedal out there and get the slope on the pipe just right, and someone's not having to try to hold that in place, and they're gonna weld it, and it's all it's, it's on your turn. It's it's a lot of people still are struggling to get there, but uh, you, you can we, we keep trying to lead the horse to the water. But I understand, you know, it's it, it's transformative change, and people struggle with it. And uh, yeah, that's what we, we're, we're keep pushing. We've, we've seen so many companies like adopt on one project a prefabrication because it was written in, like oh we got to have these skids done. All right, everybody has uh, all trade skids that you guys got to run coordination on, and everybody has to go in there. They do like you know one project. It's all you know all skidded up. And then after that, it's like, why do no, why do we not do more prefab? And then next thing you know, you're having conversations with you know the COO about how they want to get to you know like 70% prefab in the next three years, uh, and then you know push it further beyond that. Um, so so many conversations like that are happening all the time. Like we love hearing that. That's great news. But getting people to uh, to get over their scaredness, right? You know, yeah. it's, it's it's very fearful, right? Change, change, yeah. uncertainty. Yeah. Well, I also well, think a- it kind of goes back to your point there, Josh, of trust. Like we have a lot of trust issues in our industry and people, I, I feel like, aren't trusting BIM in that sense, the adoption of BIM, like that data, that information. So, they, you know, a lot of people struggle with digital information, that digital twin. They want to have something in their hands, right? And I think that, you know, we've seen a lot, especially with Corona, right? Look at all the contract stuff that's happening right now. That's a huge lack of trust. So, I mean, just ridiculous. <laughs> so I have a call uh, later this week. I've got to do a uh, uh, an overview of some, uh, you know, point layout type stuff, right? Uh, you know, simple, the, the basics of BIM, I call it. But um, so this, uh, the BIM department kicks out CAD files to to the field engineers. The field engineers then import those into their data collectors. 
I told the BIM department, well, we could just streamline that for you. Let's just do all the point placement in your model and then give that to the field engineers. Field engineers could then, you know, just go rock and roll and lay all their, you know, uh, concrete formwork, what, what, what have you, footings. And uh, they were like, oh, no, no, they have to lay those out. Well, why do they have to place the points in the model? Well, it's a, it's a trust issue. Like they want, it's like, so their CAD file comes from you. They're place, they're bringing this CAD file into the data collector, manually creating points at each intersection when you already have the tools in-house to mass create those and bring them out. But it's just, they can't get over the trust. It's like, ah, oh, like, come on. We and that's internally out. in the same company. So I can only imagine, man, like you talk about in, uh, uh, working with other trades and working with the GC, working with architects and engineers. Have you seen, real quick, have you seen um, an uptick in like concurrent engineering where the, the trades are more involved with the engineers earlier on? Yes, yes. So, I mean, we, we've been watching this trend for a while. There's jobs around the country that I'm familiar with that they're actually, our electrical contractors are building the models and the engineers are working in top and documenting over the top of those models. So instead of cr- trying to create this handoff, this design intent model, and then hand it off, hey, we're going to go in here and think about constructability, and we're going to be working together on a shared model. Now, I know that you know that, that throws a spear in doctrine all for a loop and design intent and means and methods and, and uh, you know, what is this? And, and it scares everyone. But I think everyone understands the engineers are not delivering the set of documents that they were 20 years ago when I came into the industry. If I look at a set of construction documents from an electrical engineer 20 years ago, it, it, it's night and day different. You you look at sets of drawings now, 65% they put out for bid, and you're sitting there going – it. I don't have anything. I don't know what to, what to bid. So you're getting bids across the board on your jobs that you're sitting there going, hey, there's there's a 20% gap between this one here and there's a 20% gap here. I got three people bid on my job because everybody's so busy with work right now. I'm not getting the number of bids that I once had. What does this tell me that these numbers are so far apart on three bids that I received on my job? That That should be a huge red flag, but it's – it's the fact that so many things now we, we have accelerated and uh, we're still trying. I, I can, Joey, you made a, it that it's such a simple workflow that you could solve. But I'll tell you, we're going through right now our KPI initiative at NECA. NECA has 4,000 members and 118 chapters. And we're trying to help them start digital transformation down this path. And and so many people are moving into it and, and, and they're open and they're learning. We're having these conversations, but we're sitting there in some cases and we talk about data. We want to be able to measure as much as possible. We want to be able to give our contractors health checks. We want them to understand using a football analogy that my CEO used to, our KPIs are our first down markers. Are you staying ahead of the chains? You know, on first down, did you get five yards? Are you set up on second down? You got set up for third and short? Are you are you going behind the sticks? And I love that analogy that he gave us today as we rolled out this big KPI initiative. But trying to look at, listen, what if, what if RFIs told us that your response rate to an RFI on a job, you're documenting this and your BIM 360 or Docs or Procore or these other tools that are out there, and you see 
hey, our response rate on our RFIs right now for us as electrical contractors is 9.7 days. On this hospital, maybe that's not so bad. Maybe that's that's average. So it means it's okay. It's not great, but it's not bad, but it's okay. But 9.7 days on a on a hotel, ding, 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 something's wrong. You need to do some root cause analysis. This is a marker. This is a trend. This is something that you need to go and identify because this means this job is more likely to be behind budget, you know, behind schedule, over budget. You need to pay attention. What if we could learn from RFIs if there was a sign? And what we're trying to do is digitize our workflows and standardize safety forms so we can learn from them, take our our, our time cards, take our attendance impact studies to look at what if five tens are better certain times of the year, five eights are better certain times of the year, or four tens. Maybe we need to shift and look at overtime and all these impacts. We're doing all this, but we're talking to these contractors and we're saying, listen, you want to crowdsource the data. I can send it out to Joey and David and it takes them 30 seconds to fill it out. But we've always had Josh in the office. He's he's inexpensive. He calls 15 people every Monday morning and gets their time card. Well, how accurate do you think that is, that they're doing it on Monday morning, 15 minutes before it's supposed to go turned in? You think that foreman has a clue that Joey took off early on Thursday, last Thursday and David came in late on, on Tuesday? They, they forget all that. They just mark it down as eight hours and it's – if we could keep up with this by the day, we could crowdsource it. But even little changes like that, we can save time. Yeah, but that's just one more thing on their plate. Let's just have a conversation. Let's see if we can make this better. But yep. it's it's everybody's used to their workflows. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, we've been talking about this lately. And a lot of people like to bring up, uh, what is it, uh, um, your micromanaging. Right. Micromanaging. But I don't I don't I don't like that term. I really don't. I like to think about it as you're talking the metrics, that data. It's what can we get from this? I don't you know, it's fine that you took off earlier. It's fine that you came in late. Yeah, that's that's cool. But what we want to analyze is what happens because of that. You know, and and when we can start using not even just the data there, but predictive data, right? Predictive analytics. When we start moving from project to project, and and okay, when we work with this contractor, we work here, we do this type of project. These are the issues that typically pop up. And when you can start being aware of that, you know what I mean. So, I've been doing a, this this thing with a, a lot of yoga and stuff like that, trying to get my body and being more aware of what's going on within my body itself, right? Just like being mentally aware, being conscious of, of like, cause I had back surgery when I was 21 and I have to stay cognizant of what I do and how it affects me. In this sense, I would think the same way of a construction project, right? I, I would think that we need to, if, if you're being made aware of a potential issue as you're going into this, you could, you could essentially be cognizant of what, things can happen like you're watching for things right you're 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 staying kind of aware of of what's happening and how we can change this and then that in itself pushes innovation i think that that in itself is pushing you to to say okay how can we approach this problem and what can we do to push past it i love your analogy about yoga you damn hippie but uh, (laughs) (laughs) i do the yoga with adrian on youtube with my daughter every now and then it's yeah. great. It's free for yoga, man. Why not? Um, Guys, I'm a yoga guy myself. I'm downward oh. dog. I've got the app, and I'm going to yeah. tell you, kicks my butt 
every morning. 25 <laughs> minutes time. of I do core. I never do anything but core. I do core every single morning, and I break a. I'm telling you, it's it's it kills me. It's yeah. it's this. I think there's different versions of yoga. So mine, oh, yeah. mine's tough. I feel good about it. I feel good afterwards. You shine me too. Me too. Oh yeah. Heck yeah Look I at us as we. Yeah. As we're sitting down drinking some drinking alcohol. a beer. Right. <laughs> well, first of all, hey man, what are you drinking, Dave? What are you drinking? Well, all right. So I actually have uh, you know, you've talked about them so many times, but Ninkasi out of Eugene, Oregon. I have a Slayer Winter Ale. The uh, seasonal release just came out, so I was pretty excited to skip over to the store and grab one of these six packs. I'm a fan, even though they sold out to Budweiser. <laughs> what you got over there, Josh? I saw you crack something earlier. I yeah, I am here in Georgia, so I have to go with my favorite brand of beer in Georgia, and it's Terrapin out of Athens, Georgia. I love Terrapin, so, man. Love yeah, man, Terrapin. it's uh, I know yeah. Terrapin's gotten big now, and it's uh, all over the country. This is the high and hazy IPA. And uh, hopefully uh, the Georgia Bulldogs will beat Florida Gators this weekend. So uh, go dogs. Go dogs. Yeah. I've got yeah. uh, the last little sip of old over old overhook rye. Finishing up. Go. Nice. Yeah. And I'm down and I'll, I'm going to brew some beer this weekend again. So it's about time. Well, speaking That's of it. Georgia, though, you guys got, what is it? Mellow Mushroom down there. Oh, that's, that's a big place. chain. I love Mellow Mushroom. Oh, that place is awesome, dude. I, I love Mellow Mushroom. Uh, I, I'd eat a lot of their pizza and, and pair it with a, actually the Terrapin chocolate peanut butter porter. Yes. Ooh, yes. Oof. We just had Mellow Mushroom for my son's birthday on uh, last Thursday night. So it's, <laughs> yeah. uh, oh, man. it's a family favorite. It is. A good love place, it. man. Good place. That's yeah, awesome. We had- we had one in Texas, man. It was uh, it was it was a good stopping point. And uh, we were in a college town, so they were popular. You know, pizza in a college town, whatever <laughs> whatever reason that works, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Oh man. oh man. So you were chatting about uh, fabrication and uh, running analysis. Dave and I were big data geeks. We like playing with data, pushing, pulling data, big Power BI. You know, doing any kind of analytics we can. Um, you know, we think about the more data that you have the more real-time data that you have, right? Um, and uh, let me preface this. You have to have established KPIs beforehand mm-hmm. um, because the more that you analyze the, these, these established KPIs, the, the, you know, the longer, the better, whatever, however you want to say it, the, the trends start to, to, to start to, you know, peak their ugly head and we can start seeing how things are. I'm a six Sigma. That's what I went to my grad school is six Sigma. So it's all about define, measure, analyze, improve control. So we would always um, measure and then analyze and then repeat the whole damn cycle. So I'm all about data. I just, I got to have it, you know, put it in my hands. And as we get to this point of prefabrication where we're seeing uh, big gains in efficiency, um, reduced um, um, issues on the job site, um, increased coordination, reduced safety um, issues, that sort of stuff. As we're getting to this point, it's we're going to see this trend over time where I think more companies are going to kind of veer towards prefabrication or DFMA or all these other acronyms yeah. or, you know, terms that we got. So getting to this point uh, is only going to have to force everybody. I think it's going to kind of work backwards. It's going to have to force everybody into BIM, whether they've been fighting it the whole time or they bought off and said, we do BIM because we do Revit, but they only model LOD 150 or whatever it is, you know, like the very base model that you can, I got a square and that's my air handling unit, that's you know, right. whatever. <laughs> But uh, but but I think it's just going to kind of 
it's going to force people to reverse engineer, whether they call it BIM, whether they call it whatever, whatever they want to call it. I don't care what the term is, but as long as we get to this point where the data is actually meaningful in the end, but the designs are actually meaningful and the designs are designed with the, um, the trades in mind, the constructability in mind, because that is the biggest hurdle. Uh, we always have this running joke whenever we do presentations. It's like, oh, um, uh, if you can blame the surveyor, blame the surveyor. Or, you know, if it's, it's always the surveyor's fault unless you can blame the, the architect. And then it's always the architect's fault. It's all everybody, every trade you go to, every person you talk to, it's like, oh, man, the architect did this. It's like, oh, OK, it's always the architect's fault. But um, not harping on that. I like architects. Just just give them a little a little fluff. But uh, as the architects and engineers start to, you know, get away from design intent, more meaningful designs, I think, actually start to be fulfilled. And um, thinking about that, though, uh, as we start talking about um, more meaningful designs, are you seeing any transition to generative design in your fields because i mean it's kind of a weird play yeah it's coming it's coming i mean there, there's no doubt it, it's coming right now there's been some tools that have been put out there and we're seeing machine learning starting to take some 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 leaps forward and there's a number of things that are out there more for the architects and the designers like uh, what Cliff is doing and uh, some of the things in designing and doing layout rooms and, and some of the tools that are out there. Uh, you know, the thing about as we start to look at this and you said this about the data and it's going to take us back and work back. I am 100 percent with you on that. I, I think we don't know what we don't know today about construction. You've got to think that every decision that's made out at the field level, if, if I'm an electrician, if I'm a pipe fitter, if I'm a carpenter, 90% of the decisions I make on a given day, no one has any visibility into that. We don't know what we don't know. Once we start seeing these gaps and holes and inefficiencies in our processes from the data that we start to learn and we start to see it, then what I think if we can quantify it, then we can start to get more into generative design. Then we can start to get in because we, we don't know the processes. There is no defined process. I, how you want to, you know, what tool you use to strip cable, who knows what that person's doing? It's what, what's on them at the time. Is it a screwdriver? Is it a, you know, is it a full-fledged who knows what they're doing? I mean, it's, you just have no visibility into that. And it's not about big brother, as you were saying, or micromanaging. It's about learning. And for us, we've we've got to get to a point that we can make better decisions based off our data and less gut, because that that's what the owner's expectations are. You're going to go work for Target. You're going to go work for Tesla. You're going to go do work for Intel. The way they're running their businesses they're going to expect the same from us. And, and what's been very hard for us is you were, again, going back to the micromanaging, going back to the data side of this. It, it really is about changing our mindset. I came in early enough, 22 years ago, that I'm used to holding my cards close to the vest because I've been beaten up. I, I've been I've been knocked down. I've been put in my place and I've had the fingers point to me as a BIM consultant. I've I've been on I've been on the, the, the bad end of a project that that's not run smoothly. And, you know, you're sitting there and you you you, 
you take those lumps. And while I do believe this is we're, we're starting to see this change that we've got to be more transparent with our data. We've got to understand that competition is a real thing that I have to understand. I have 4,000 contractors. I've got a bunch of contractors in Atlanta, Georgia. They're competing against each other. We've got to be realistic that they can't share everything. But I, I think as we start to build a culture around this data, it's going to be the fact that, oh, they're not looking for me and seeing how much time I I, I was in the port of John, that's not what it's about. It, it's not how much time, you know, I was 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 hung up installing this one thing because I ran into a problem. It's the fact that I want to be able to say next time that, hey, when we have six people on a job, just plan on seven hours out of the week that those six people are going to be in the John. That's uh, that, no, no, you know, that's that's your business. Who knows what's going on? But the the thing is, is hey, let's let's plan for that and estimate that into the job. So it's, it's learning. It's all about learning. And, uh, listen, I think we're going to see, we've been talking about this a lot at Nika is industrialization of construction. It is coming. It's coming. It's there. It's, you can't fight it. It is, it's here. So how do you see it as an opportunity as opposed to a threat? And how do you embrace it and grab your piece of the pie? And uh, I think being transparent is a huge, huge part of this. I agree. I agree. If we can make it transparent. And one thing Joey and I have been talking about a lot lately, too, is getting everyone involved earlier in the process. Right. If we can have have these constructability reviews, if you have a common data environment. You can host your models and someone like a a contractor can get in and review those models as they're drafting, as they're designing, as they're detailing, you know, and maybe not just the contractor, but maybe the actual steel fabricator, the structural engineer, the mechanical engineer who maybe can't draft, right? And they can start sharing that data. And even even if it's hand drawings, even if it's CAD drawings, whatever it is, even if it's just a markup telling them how to do things, it's sharing that data, right? And I think it's huge that we, we kind of bridge that and, and start looking at not only just, you know, how, how soon can we get involved with this? What can we bridge with this? But as you guys were talking about with generative design, if we can start sharing that data from these engineers who have the this experience, right, and we can start putting it into something like Dynamo. I mean, I think it's insane when you have a, a parameter that can say, okay, how about how, ma- uh, how much load will this take you know if we're, we're designing a beam system or what have you how much load will this take you know what, what what is your main goal here or whatever it is you can put in the the parameters like the size of the room or what use it's going to be you know what have you and it starts to develop this you know detail for you especially with structural right i mean mechanical what have you these systems are getting more and more complex we're seeing all these structural steel connections that are coming over from let's say advanced steel into revit and and more prefabrication there and as you're starting to see see this kind of level of detail in our designs i feel like it's only the sky is the limit. I really do. I feel like we can kind of just go up from there because you take this this previous data, this previous projects, and we can analyze how this was done, how this connection was done, and again move it forward. Yeah, you think about DFM, DFA guys, and you start to think about what if we were incentivized around the life cycle of the job? What if we were incentivized around life cycle, and and we were driven by that? And that think about from. A generative design standpoint that it could tell us based on the the information and looking at 
owner, the, the operation manuals and the maintenance and the cycles that are looking at the cost of long term to say you're going to spend 10 percent more right now, but you're going to save 25 percent over the life of that switch gear or that component. I mean, I, I think one of the things we have to do is we've, we've got to think more about life cycle going forward that we're so caught up in trying to save money on the design and construction phase. Let's 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 become a partner. Let's be a consultant. Let's quit. Who's everybody's tired of the race to the bottom? Who can do it the cheapest and fastest? Joe, who wants to do that? Always be the cheapest and fastest. That's unsustainable. No, it's not. Being uh, cheaper, um, you know, I, I'll be honest, in, in a sales role, right? If you go out and you say, I'll be whoever's price, nobody wants to talk to you. Nobody. Nobody <laughs> wants to talk to you. It's like, you're cheaper. What does that mean? You're you're the Walmart of people what are you I want to deal me? with. Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah, what do you what do I get out of this? I get the the base model Kia that doesn't have the CD player or the radio in it, you know, no AC. I got to manually roll down the window, whatever it is, right? I just remember how that's how Kias used to be sold. So that's one thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> but 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 that said, like uh, thinking about like value, how do you get to communicate that to an owner? Um, at, in your current role, most people don't get that privilege of saying, you know what, this would be really beneficial for you if you actually went this route. Because their, you know, their whole thing is, I've just got to bid the lowest. They're not in a, an owner's rep, you know, scenario. Pardon me. They, they're not in a scenario where they actually have direct dialogue with the the, the executive team for that project. Like. It's all about like, all right, we just got to win the bid and then go from there. So you yeah, like Nika, how are you, you know? So a you- lot of my contractors still live in that hard bid world, but we see it changing every day. Even smaller owners that are less sophisticated are learning about CM at risk. I think we're going to see a massive evolution in contracts. I, I, I think contracts are the bane of, of, it's it's where most of the friction starts in this industry and, and where we start to break down the trust because we're incentivized around the contracts to behave a certain way. If I'm going out today and I'm going to build a metal building, I can tell you I'm not going out for hard bid. I'm not in this market right now where most contractors are very busy and I'm going out for low bid. I'm setting myself up for failure. A lot of owners are starting to realize now, let's do some negotiated work. Let, let's Let's have conversations. So a lot of my contractors are shifting their business from a hard bid to negotiated work. And I think you're going to see on certain jobs going forward, like data centers, why would you not have your electrical contractor, which who's probably carrying on that job 60% of the total cost of risk in that job? Why are you going to put them under a GC in this contract? Why are they not on a similar level? Let the GC manage the floor finishers, the awning providers, the masons. That's good. That's perfect. But on this job where I'm carrying over 60% of the cost of the job, Owner, bring me in. Let's have conversations about life cycle analysis. Treat me like a partner. I'll be transparent with my data. Let, let's talk about how we can be more efficient. If I can get involved in the design phases, let's do some DFM. Let's do some DFA. Let's get the right balance of what can I modularize? What can I, you know, what can I hop on skids? How can I build this more efficiently? And owners are coming around to that. 
It's yeah. about time, man. We've worked with some of the. Sorry to interrupt you, but no, you're good. We've, go ahead. We, we've worked with some of uh, large tech companies, um, being on the West Coast, um, who have you know they have in-house engineering, of course, right? They're mega tech companies that are building data centers across the country, and uh, the GC still carried everything, like you were just saying. It's a hard bid for everybody, which was a pain in the butt. And then coordination was still up, you know, at the behest of the GC. GC carried coordination, although they had it was a square building with a slope roof. What does the GC have that that is, you know, why are they being so being tasked with coordination when everything is all on the electrical contractors in these in these type systems? It blows my mind, man. Lack of knowledge. They they don't. uh, The owners have no clue. I I think it's. Listen, there's a lot of good GCs. There's a lot of good oh, architects. There's, there's a lot of good engineers. But it only takes a few to give a bad reput- reputation for our electrical contractors, mechanical contractors as a whole. And I think there's such a lack of trust from the owner's standpoint. At least if they can hold one person accountable like the GC, then they don't realize what challenges they're causing to everyone else on this job by not having them involved earlier in the process that – it's it's just a lack of knowledge. We need to do a better job educating owners. We need to help. We need to sit back. I keep telling our, our council on our research foundation at Electri that we need to do some some deep analysis and research into contract terms and the ripple effects that are caused by these this contractual language and how it hurts the owner and they don't even see that it's hurting the owner because it's hurting the architect it's hurting the engineer it's hurting the gc it's putting everyone in a bind from day one and and it's setting us up out of the gate to be unsuccessful so i know this is a um i don't want to say industry it's a project specific uh issue right like Certain projects of higher caliber, you know, their owners are more educated. They're, they've adopted technology. They, they, their FM teams demand certain outputs that we must, you know, and standards that we must adhere to. And that makes sense. But for the most part, excluding those, mis, you know, those outliers, um, do, are you seeing this as a regional thing? Like, so, uh, you know, you in Georgia, are you seeing specific, con- uh, specific contracts, specific project types demanding, you know, this sort of uh, I'm seeing or? smaller jobs carrying BIM requirements on them now. I'm seeing smaller jobs looking at contractor qualification statements that include prefab. I'm seeing that all over the country. And it, it, its owners have gotten more sophisticated in some ways, but their expectations have not they, – They've their expectations have gotten way out in front of their uh, – what their – yeah, it's, it's, it's really – They've been sold. They have been sold. They have been sold. <laughs> It's uh, no, that's true. That's true. And it's I think we're all I think the industry right now, I think a lot of us that have been doing this in construction for a while, it's been a wake up call for many in the industry saying, oh, gosh, these owners don't know what they're asking for right now because it, it, it listen, they they're smart. They know what they're doing. And I, I think so many things have come into play that. We've got to step back every now and then, too. And and I've had my perspective uh, changed a lot. Some of these owners, like, you know what? I don't care about my building. It's just to keep my equipment out of the rain. It, I'm a manufacturer, and, and I don't care about my building. I want the best product that's easiest to maintain. And you guys get so hung up, you think this is the world. I don't care. Just give me my building. Give it me to the price. And, and, and I, I think it's 
we, we need to create a better sense of alignment out of the gate. Uh, I don't think, I think every job that we go on to, we, we have a, a process in place that, that we, we think this is the best way to do it. All of us, even as teams that have been successful. And I think everybody's been bit on a job. You know, I've, I've, I was telling someone the other day that I had a run on about six or seven BIM jobs that just went so smooth. We hit the points, coordination, you know, we had to lower ceilings, we showed our value. And, and I was the, I was, I was like the MVP. Everybody, everything was going good. And every, these jobs just lined up. And then, boy, we had a bad one. And then after that one, it was another bad job. And it was just, a number of factors that played into it and uh, that, that, you know, you just sometimes you, you don't realize you, you tend to, if everything's going good, you, you tend to overlook it. Oh, we've already got a good relationship. I'm not going to worry about documenting that. We'll figure this out three months later from now. You're going, I really should have documented that. Uh, I mean, <laughs> might be in trouble now. Yeah. We, we had an interesting podcast with Brian uh, Pogue from Raken and he had a great analogy. He was like, it's all about hot potato and construction. It's all about passing that risk onto somebody else. It's like, so you documented everything you can, and then you pass that risk onto somebody else. Like, all right, document it, and I issued it to somebody else. And then they, you know, do whatever they got to do, document their changes, and then they push it back onto somebody else. And at some point, it'll get resolved. But uh, if it doesn't get resolved, whoever's left holding that potato and hasn't documented anything beyond that, that's their risk. That's their that's you know, their they have to own that. Um, so back that, with that Smith, Curry, Hancock, a, a attorney that I that's a great construction lawyer told me, Josh, all construction is at the end of the day is buying and selling risk. How much <laughs> are you willing to buy? And are you, are you willing? Are you going to get rewarded for the risk that you're putting in that you're buying? That's it. That's it. You know, I think as we move towards this kind of age of educated owners and, and we're seeing more people push, of course, towards technology, but we need to, of course, like educate everyone about the uses of this technology, about the uses of this data. Um, and I, I, I completely agree, Josh, as we become more transparent, I feel like if we can get out of the gate, right? Because if you can start this project off on the right foot, if we start a project off, it's going to screw up the entire project. Like no matter how small that error was the beginning, it radiates throughout the entire project and it only gets bigger towards the end, right? It's it's just a big issue. And if we can plan this, if we can set it up right. So I know going into this, this isn't just a project and I want to move on to the next. This is going to be this. We, we want to look at this livelihood of this entire building. OK, Mr. You know, Mr. or Mrs. Owner, um, how long do we want to own this building for over the next 30 to 50 years? If we apply this material, if we do this, this and this, this can save you this much money. This was what it'll cost you over this amount of time. You know, this is what we can do here. If we give you this level of detail, this is what you can do with this data. If I include warranty information and things like that, this is what you can do with this. If I give you a point cloud, you know, if we can actually start walking these owners through on how to interpret this data. And knowing that, you know, I, I want to put as much effort as I can into this individual project before moving forward and, and, and really help this entire project out. I think it's I mean, I don't know, dude, there's so many things I feel about this, like overall, we need to have a construction project mindset. 
right? Like not we're, we're in silos. We are. Everybody is siloed. The civil space, architecture, structure, mechanical, everybody's siloed in a way, right? They want to they they want to be somewhat transparent. You know, now we have BIM 360 where we can kind of link things through. But you'd be surprised at how many people I talk to about, hey, are you are you live linking? No, no, I don't want to live link. That's insane. Like, why would you like to see all those changes? (laughs) Yeah. And I'm like, you know, I I get that to a degree. But at the same time, I'm also like, well, it'd be kind of cool to see that as that model changes to know what's going on with that. So so picking up on that, though, like the number one issue I I chat with, especially specifically with GCs, is that there is no internal. And this is a freaking buzzword that we're sick of saying, I'm I'm sure. But common data environment, single source of truth, whatever you want to say, doesn't have to be Vim 360, doesn't matter what it is, but a, a repository of data that uh, you know that this file, no matter what it is, has always been overwritten with the most recent one. And this is the most uh, up-to-date information you're going to get. There are so many people I chat with that are GCs that are, uh, and I'm talking about some of the specifically some of the first early adopters of BIM in the country are still facing this problem. The issue is uh, the model that they get, um, while it's um, up to date in one department, has not trickled downstream so that by the time it gets to the subs, they're three versions behind. It's a pain in the butt. It's a a big issue. We've all been there. Yeah, it's well, it's it's an ongoing issue. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hopefully contracts resolve this. But Dave, getting back to your point, um, you know, working with with owners and educating people and and kind of the whole life cycle of the building and all this whole as this process starts to play out, it kind of ties back into what Josh was saying. Um, As we get to the point where owners are. Um, I, I want to see more invested and there's this concurrent engineering process and, and, you know, like he, he Josh, you were saying about, um, uh, you know, this could save you this over the life cycle of the building, David, you kind of repeated that. And, and I, f- I feel like those people, the people that know that aren't the people that are getting to communicate with the owners. So it's, it's an education process and yes, owners are becoming more educated, but kind of conveying that message to owners and saying, look, we have to stop looking at this building at a, uh, you know, a here's the hundred million dollar project, but let's look at the one billion dollar project. You know, the the next thirty years of this building, maintaining, uh, updating, revising, everything that goes in this building is just it's it's blown up in the demolition of this building. It's kind of blown up over the next you know thirty years. So we've got you know I'm just bullshit numbers here. Sorry guys. But, uh, don't quote uh, us on statistics. Don't quote us on statistics. <laughs> but we've got 10% of the building that's up front, and then the rest is is over the life of it. Just just to make my numbers work more more evenly. Um, so $900,000 of that building is beyond the life cycle of of uh, beyond the the scope of construction, but it's in the full life cycle of building. So how do you account for that over the time? It takes an educated person to work with that owner, to convey that message. And it's not, I promise you, it's not the contract manager. It's not the, it's not the owner's rep. It's, it's, these are not the people that are having this. These are, it's the person no that's been serving. It's the per- person that's been servicing that equipment that knows it inside and out, how this to guy, install yes. it and how to yes. to go in there and and have that thing set up to where it's the most efficient piece of equipment that it can be. And that's in Chicago, but it's not so good in Austin, Texas. 
Mm-hmm. Damn straight. This guy. This guy. Josh, you, you hit the nail on the head, man. It's the guy that is installed it, that knows the life cycle, that knows how it performs, that knows that that maintains it, that knows that information, whether that's the the uh, secondary service department who is outside or the internal FM team. It, it doesn't matter. But I tell you what. Those people are not the ones that have to say in the, in the whole project. They, they don't have to say that needs to be in, in this whole life cycle of the building. And uh, we're going to have at some point in time uh, a young lady who is remarkable at importing data from the BIM side into the FM side and working with owners and how that oh. comes to comes to be. Uh, but we've got to kind of do a backwards analysis. And maybe she'd probably be the best person to chat about, about it, but like – you know, hey, okay, so what are you seeing in this whole trend with working with owners and working with, you know, GCs and how this kind of feeds in this whole life cycle of the building and reducing costs? Because this is the number one issue is we want to reduce, for an owner, we want to reduce the cost of the whole entire project, you know, uh, built to demolition rather than just built to, you know, butts and beds. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Guys, you know, we... We look at at all these things that, that we we're there, and unfortunately, a lot of these guys that have that knowledge, these guys and gals of the service, they're they're, you know, they're not valued the way that they should be. And if you start to break some of this down, and and it's maybe the way that they carry themselves, and they they're just not polished enough, so they don't get they don't get that message heard. What if I believe today we do a number of things like an RFI? Why do we issue RFIs in the frequency and the way that we do them? Today, we have technology. Why is it not just a form of communication on BIM 360 docs or in, you know, it's not an RFI. Yes, that's what I was going to say, Revisto or BIM track. Let's just talk. Let's put the person in the field with a tablet that's installing it. Let's get a performance spec from the engineer. Let's let's if we had the data that could improve, that could prove to the owners that design assist, really design assist, not this bastardized bastardized version of design assist that it is that we're we're doing. The planning pays for itself. Bring us in. Let's work together as a team. Let's do do true design assist, incentivize us in a way that if we can drive down the operating cost of this building, let, let's let's forget the retainage. Let, let's let's approach this from a different angle. Let's let's be incentivized and and let's say, you know, let, let's let's go through this and and look at the piece of equipment that is going to perform. That's going to be easier. Sometimes it's not even performance. Sometimes it's so much cheaper to install. Labor hours I have in installing this system saves 24 hours you know on 24 hours of labor by the time you're ready to replace this thing at the cost it is you'll be better off to throw it off and bring another one in because it just saves so much labor hour. I, I can tell you we were doing a coordination meeting and this was one early in my career and we're going through coordination and we've been working with the engineers and they've got these two pumps up in the in, in the penthouse level and they've got pipes running everywhere and we're sitting there trying to coordinate it. We've been working back and forth. On a call one day, a mechanical one of the mechanical contractors was sitting on there, a guy with 30-something years of experience in there. He's like, why don't you just upsize the one pump? It'll be a lot less to service, and we can upsize the pipe, and we'll save about you know 400 linear feet of pipe. We're all sitting there looking. Where was this guy the last three weeks? 
And I, that was one of my first times really dealing with the trades on, at a coordination level many, many years ago. Guys, I remember when people were like, hey, we had this thing called a kickoff meeting. It was so awesome. We communicated and put a plan together up front. Hey, have you heard about BIM execution plans? I remember people like, that's a pretty good idea. Guys, communication never hurt us. It never hurt us. And we've got to learn how to get out from behind the computers too. Technology can't be our crutch. We've got to get out from behind the computers. We've still got to talk. We've still got to learn the processes. We still have to communicate. Technology is not the silver bullet, but that's what it should be used for is to get us out from behind them and start having real conversations. I agree. I agree, especially as we approach this idea of a building life cycle instead of a project life cycle. I mean, I, I think that that overall, um, Joey and I've been talking lately about thinking about, you know, breaking down the barriers, barriers of thinking about, you know, this is this is CAD. This is BIM. This is that. No, 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 no. You know what? It all goes towards the construction project itself. What is going to be beneficial for us to use here and what is going to be you know, the most, well, I don't want to say if it's going to cost a little bit more up front. Okay, cool. It's going to save me this much more money downstream, you know, and, and whether it is adopting the newest technology or it's using a CAD platform that is what 30, I mean, 50, 60 years old. Okay, cool. If that still works and that can give you these results that you need and you can take that without, okay, for, <laughs> sorry, 40 years old, you could take that downstream. Don't quote us on statistics, right? But it's going to be beneficial, man. I mean, <laughs> approaching that, like figuring out exactly what softwares you can use where, what data you can use, and, and, and keeping that moving forward, right, it, it, throughout the entire life cycle of that building. Yeah, man, you, you hit the nail on the head there, bud. Um I think that we're going to get to this point that it doesn't matter what you call it. It's all about the benefit of the It's all the about project. the information, man. It's all, damn it. It's all about the information, right? It doesn't matter what you call <laughs> it. it. BIM, SIM, construction, hey project management. When we start treating BIM like Milwaukee Tools and United Rentals uh, assets on the job sets, <laughs> and we see them as tools and we start treating them as such in the, the contracts look at them as tools that are essential to get jobs completed and they're in the general conditions and think about that day guys think about that 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 it's not this added cost it's not overhead it's tools we need that are essential to the job yep i hear you man you're you're preaching to the choir like we 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 want that that, that day to come uh, there is a hurdle to get over with contracts and mentality. There's a whole, this is why there's a whole psychology dedicated to change management is you have to change people's perspectives. And this is why I guess why salespeople are so good at what they do to get people on board. But um, we have this point where we're not only educating, but selling people on not, not just technology, but processes. I'm not technology, right? You just said it. It's not the silver bullet. It's not going to get us there. But the processes in between are what get us there. The education, the hands-on stuff. Dave and I, we're, we're big hands-on people. I started, you know, day one pounding hubs into Texas uh, red dirt, man. Uh, I don't miss it, but, uh, I, you know, I kind of feel nostalgic for it at some times, like just getting out there and hammering, hammering a, a hub into uh, Texas red dirt. Uh, setting the corners for a building. I mean, this is what we did. And Dave, you were, you were, you know, working with owners and you were actually digging stuff. You were, you were the guy that was 
doing stuff for not only the military, but actually as you got back into civilian life, working with owners uh, and, and and architectural engineering firms, kind of getting this stuff done. So we're big proponents of hands-on because I feel like that's the only way you're going to know how this, you were mentioning earlier, this system about an, uh, you know, this this uh, uh, specific contractor who was saying, hey, look, if you actually install this, this and this, it'll save you so much and it'll actually be easier of the timeline. I'll save 400 feet of duck, blah, blah, blah. It, you don't know that unless you're in the field. You don't. You don't. And I think if we had a little more empathy for each other and, and could understand and learn from that and and know what it's like to actually be out there in in the hot in the cold and and working a rotary laser and oh, making man. sure you're deep enough and yeah you know, and and yeah you know, trying to get something square and, and so you you just said uh, empathy uh, on election day I just want people to know this today is election day and you said empathy he voted awesome. he voted he there got it is. Yeah. I got a vote. Oh, I don't have a sticker but I voted I voted by, by mail yep, yep. um. Oregon, you guys vote by mail, which is awesome. Like that's yeah. just a uh, number one thing you sign up for and you get voted by mail. Yeah, it was Pennsylvania was kind of a weird ordeal. This year, dude, I, I got this, you know, letter in the mail and I'm like, oh, all right, uh, this is how I vote. And then I'm seeing like you, you have to sign the back of the envelope. It yeah, has a yeah. barcode, you know, program. Yeah. Like, all right. This is kind of neat. All right. Cool. See Donald Duck on the ballot. But I'll write it, man. <laughs> No, dude, I, I just, I don't know. I, I see all of this moving forward. I, I see the adoption of technology as we're kind of talking about is, is pushing um, our industry in, in all different ways. If we can, again, start kind of thinking about this project as a whole and and then, again, start adjusting our, our contracts as such, having empathy for the other, you know, trades, the other solutions that are going to be involved as we start bridging those gaps between the technology to make sure that we can actually communicate, you know, Josh, being able to communicate from program to program before, you know, like three, four years ago, that was ridiculously hard. Absolutely. I mean, insane. if you got IFC, if you got Tecla, if you got Revit, like they just wouldn't, if they would communicate, it was little lines and stuff. It was a pain. It was ridiculous. Dumb geometry. The most yeah. basic rudimentary geometry you can get. With it. Why even and, have integration? That doesn't make sense. And now there were, as a project requirement, we get smart, smart IFCs as a deliverable, which is great. Yep. To an extent, right? You know, get everybody on Revit, damn it. Or whatever you <laughs> use. I don't care. Whatever. You know, you know I'll, I'll exert my bias. It's like it, it's like I see our our industry, the contracts, everything evolving as this as this technology continues to evolve. And and I think that we have to, you know, as you guys said, take that kind of human emotion, that empathy, and put it into what we do. Like we get involved with these projects. We'll feel good about these projects. We're helping these owners out. We're helping out this building, this this city that we're actually going into designing, whatever it is, the, the overall, right? I mean, that's You're what such we, a bimmer. You're I such a bimmer. We're all trying to save the world. We are. I mean, we really, it is a bimmer's trait is to work and coordinate. If we could get everyone with a similar mindset as as, as Listen, you, you're right on it, Dave, Joey. I mean, you guys are, you know, it's a, as we become these construction technologists, you can tell, I can always go back and tell who came from BIM because you do have to have, you develop good communication skills, you develop a level of, 
of trust, appreciation. And, and, you know, I think it, I do believe that it helps us in a number of ways become some of the best construction technologists, because I think it helps us because we want what's best for the job. Most people don't understand that, but that is a common trait among people that do BIM. They really want what's best for the job. And when we're a lot of times the, the you, know, you don't receive a lot of praise, you know, occasionally some <laughs> good things fall your way and, and, and you end up you know, being on the good side of, of the argument. But it's you learn that it's so much about people, then te- then process, and then you integrate the technology. It's not just about finding cool tech. That's not what we're about. We've 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 had to work through the pains and and workflows and challenges and new softwares and new integrations and new features. And you try to take that technology and you try to integrate it into a workflow to bridge the gap, as you guys were saying. That's it. That's it, dude. It's bridging the gap. It's it's communicating. It's making <laughs> sure that, that everybody, man, dude. I do. I love that term. I'm gonna coin that, man. It, it's it's if we can make sure that everybody bridges that gap and can. There's already a podcast bridging the gap. Ah, <laughs> oh, dang it. That's what it is. I, I lost it. I was daylight and dollar short on that one. So but cool. uh, man, I I I really I'm behind it. I'm behind it. I'm yeah. behind it. It's all right, man. I think we need to end on the wise words of uh, Josh Bone there because my whiskey glass is empty. Uh, <laughs> and my bottle is empty. So, uh, Josh, man, you have been excellent. I appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you uh, for coming on, you, Josh, really. You know, you, 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 you provided wise words of wisdom uh, and definitely re, uh, reaffirmed kind of what Dave and I have been saving a lot, a lot of the time. Um, the whole industry has to shift. You know, technology isn't the silver bullet. It is going to help us, but it is not your crutch. It will it will get you 80% of the way there. There's 20% of headache you're going to have to muddle the way through. But that's where Dave and I, you know, we'll help guide you through uh, with the brewing yeah, band. That's, 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 that's where all of us, the Bimmers, right? These Bimmers. The Bimmers. Go Bimmers. We want to share this information. You know, <laughs> not, to reach it. out talk yeah dude i mean it's it's user groups it's forums it's podcasts you know what however you can get involved get involved man i i I really feel like there there are so many things like the younger generation are going to know are going to bring up that i haven't even thought about yet and we have to keep that as josh said that communication line open man if we can keep that communication line open and just really start talking and, and and really Focusing, as you guys are saying, on these projects instead of the overall, like, making money. Dude, I want to make money. So does the owner, though. You know what I mean? Every project like a marriage. Communicate, guys. Communicate. Bye-bye. <laughs> relationship. It is. It'll cost you less in the long run if you just communicate. Yep. Yep. <laughs> That's it. That's, That's it. it. You know, Edward Deming, you're a link, you're a Six Sigma guy. I'll tell you, Edward Deming is my is is the guy I'm always talking about again. And and uh, he he's he's pushed that that mindset that is we've seen it happen in, in agriculture. We've seen it happen in manufacturing. We've seen it in textiles. Guys, I will say in 22 years, we've come a long way. And I think sometimes we tend to forget just where we were four or five years ago, how hard it was to share files, how hard it was to to do some of the things we're doing. And I'll say this, when I came into the industry 22 years ago, getting cussed on a job site was guaranteed. It was 100 <laughs> percent, especially for me. You know, my slow talking Southern accent, it, it was like, hey, what are you doing here? And especially as I traveled around the country. 
in certain parts of, of the world. But I'll tell you, you know, it, that was just the way. Today, we, we have a lot more emotional intelligence, and I'm very, very optimistic about where we're going. Wise words to end on. Well, thank you, guys. I appreciate your time. Yep. Thanks again, Josh. Anytime, guys. Keep preaching the good word and keep having, doing great podcasts. I always enjoy listening.